Stand Firm Ministries, Biblical Truth, taught by Dr. Shane Perez. Make sure you understand, Jeremiah had a message of destruction. It's one of the reasons why he got in so much trouble. Because he was telling them all the bad things that were going to happen to them. And they didn't want to hear it. They wanted to ignore it and say, no, that's too bad. We don't want that to happen to us. So if we pretend it's not going to happen to us, then maybe it'll just go away. But that did not happen. But his message was, well, let's get a sample of it. We'll start in verse 30 here in chapter 32. For the children of Israel and Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Indeed, they have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. For this city has aroused my wrath and fury from the day it was built until now. Therefore, I will remove it from my presence. Because of all the evil the children of Israel and Judah have done to provoke me to anger. They, their kings, their officials, their priests and prophets, the men of Judah and residents of Jerusalem. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces, though I taught them again and again. They will not listen or respond to discipline. They have replaced their abominations in the house. They have, re they have placed their abominations in the house that bears my name and so have defiled it. They have built the high places of Baal in the valley of Hinnom to make their sons and daughters pass through the fire to Melech. Something I never commanded them, nor had it ever entered my mind that they should commit such an abomination and cause Judah to see it. Jeremiah had a justified message of destruction for the people that he was talking to. When we first started Jeremiah, we, we realized that he was titled the weeping prophet because it was sad. Not only what he said was going to happen, but he actually saw it happen. The misery and the pain that the people went through but so often what is overlooked with Jeremiah is his message of hope. His message of restoration. Our main passage really I want us to focus on is Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. There was a message of destruction. But God tells them, but it's only for 70 years. I set a time limit on it. This is going to happen. You are going to be enslaved. You're going to be overrun. You're going to be overtaken. Um, it's going to be miserable for a while, but for 70 years. And then it's going to not only stop or cease, but then I'm going to come back and restore you. I'm going to bring you back. In verse 10, it says, When Babylon's 70 years are complete, I will attend to you and confirm my promise to restore. And even in verse 13, 
I will restore. And then again near the end of that same verse, I will restore. God is in the restoration business. He is in it for nations. What does it mean to restore? What a restore means to repair or renovate a building, work of art, vehicle, etc. So as to return it to its original condition. What is your original condition? Well, now you were born a sinner, but that was never God's intention for you. The sin that we have was not God's doing. That was man's doing. And one thing about God, he's going to restore us, and we will see what God intended for us when we get to heaven, where sin will no longer be a part of us. You are designed for so much more than what we have today. When we look in the mirror of what we see, we were designed for so much more, but what has happened without Jesus and with sin in our lives, we just get corroded. We waste away. And we end up being something that God never intended us to be. And we may be in this condition, and we may look in the mirror and say, I'm hopeless. I can't fix myself. If you were to give me the car to work on it or try to fix it up, I would tell you, you're hopeless. <laughs> I don't work on cars, don't do cars. But you know what? I know some people that do. I know a God who can take any of us and begin a process of restoration. And even though I don't believe the restoration is going to be complete till we get to heaven, He starts working on us and we start seeing improvements. Israel was in bad shape. Israel was in really bad shape. There was no hope for them. They did things so bad. I just read one of them, but I could give you a list of all the things they did. They'd worship other gods. But one of the worst things that God even pointed out here was their abomination of just sacrificing their children. They just, and why would they sacrifice? They would literally, like we look at abortion today as sacrificing, but they would just take their children and literally just have them killed. Throw them in the fire. Why? Because they thought it might increase their crop. Well, this, this pagan God will bless my life. My life will be better if I just kill my children. And the thing about Israel is that when we read in our passage, it wasn't just a few of their people that God is blaming here. He blamed their kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah, and even, he said, the residents of Jerusalem. Even other people that were just living there. I'm blaming all of you, and you're all going to face destruction. Now, I was thinking about it this week, and I don't know if every single body would take their children down and have their children sacrificed. I'm thinking, in any society, probably not. There could have been a large portion, but probably not everybody. But I imagine people that were even against the sacrificing, that maybe even thought it was wrong, guess what they did? They just stood back and were quiet. So when God brings his destruction, he doesn't separate the two. He just lumps them all together. You're all guilty. Whether you're quiet or whether you did the sacrificing, you're all guilty and all deserve destruction. Israel was in bad shape. And the thing about it, they were not begging God for restoration. 
They were actually denying what God was even going to do. Even though Jeremiah would come out and very specifically point out things that they're doing wrong. Hey, God's holy temple, you're bringing in these pagan idols even into his temple. And Jeremiah would tell them, and they're like, mm, no, we're good. We're going to leave them there. There was no conviction, no remorse, no change of their life. What they started doing is they just started attacking the messenger. So they were not even seeking restoration. And they deserved destruction. But what did God choose to do? He was angry, he was full of wrath, and he let it all out on these deserving people. But then he also tells them at the same time, but you know what? I'm going to restore you. God chose to restore. God is the restorer. The people had really nothing to do with it. God chose to restore. I'm going to switch now and look at our own nation. Our nation is in bad shape. And every day, if you're watching the news, you see it, it seems like it's getting worse and worse. To the point now, when you hear things, it doesn't surprise you probably because you're getting numb to it. But it's like, I don't, I don't even know if I believe that. That's just way too crazy extreme. That's surely not, that's not happening. America is in bad shape, and we are in need of restoration. And we've got to realize that. We've got to look ourselves in the mirror and see we need to be restored. We're not looking good. We're not looking good at all. Now, that's important to note, and I think from this pulpit, this is proclaimed quite often to the point where you may get tired of hearing it. Well, that's a little negative. You point out all these negative things that are going on. Yes, because I'm trying to wake you up. Jeremiah's message was mostly negative. And it had to be negative, and he had to keep repeating himself because the people would not listen at all. They did not see that they were in need of restoration. America is in bad shape. We're in need of restoration. And yes, I have an example to illustrate this. Quite disturbing, I believe. I think it's come out last month. House Republicans demand answers from Biden admin over grants to promote atheism worldwide. House Republicans argue Biden admin grants, grants violate the Constitution. Hmm, not sure what he's talking about there. And then there's Todd Starnes, you may be familiar with him, but he wrote an article, Biden using tax dollars to fund atheist missionaries. What are they talking about? What is going on there? We'll go to the source. Let's go to the State Department. This is a, a copy of the memo from them or, or on their website. It says, DRL FY20 IRF, promoting and defending religious freedom, inclusion of atheist, humanist, non-practicing, and non-affiliated individuals. What does that mean? Let's look at a little more detail. Here on the same website, they give you some more information on it and so forth. And what they're saying is they're giving funding away. $500,000, maybe up to two people. So maybe up to a million dollars. It's going to be a grant, and for the work that will be performed between 18 and 30 months. Now, I didn't copy everything that they said here, but I just copied and pasted some of the details 
that's in this. What do they expect the people to do? What do, you, what do they want you to do for $500,000 for 18 to 30 months? Well, from their website it says expected program outcomes include, but are not limited to, increased availability of mechanisms for members of minorities and marginalized groups, particularly atheists and non-believers. So they're focusing their attention on atheists and non-believers for what? To advocate with community leaders and local regional government officials regarding their religious freedom concerns. That's the next point. Increased capacity among members of atheists and heterodox individuals. Heterodox, if you don't know what that word means, I didn't, I had to look it up. It's almost like the opposite of orthodox. Orthodox is sort of like traditional. Heterodox means outside of the of tradition. Increased capacity of, among members of atheists and heterodox individuals to form or join networks or organizations, implement advocacy campaigns, and to engage with the public on issues of tolerance and acceptance of all regardless of faith. The last one is increased community level interfaith or advocacy interactions inclusion of atheists, humanists, non-practicing and non-affiliated individuals. Particularly those who are pressured, mandated and or coerced into religious participation that is contrary to their personal non-belief system or philosophy. Remember the government that's paying for this, actually government never pays for anything, you know that right? This is our money that the government takes from us. And this is one of the things that they're using it for. Up to a million dollars to promote atheism in other countries. And this is the same government that won't even allow Bibles in our schools. They're trying to take God out of everything. Remember the, the school teacher, I think he won the Supreme Court case. But he got fired for even praying after a football game. The game's over, but he is on school property. He knelt down a silent prayer, got in trouble of it, got fired, had to go to court for seven years. Supreme Court said, you've got to reinstate him. That's not right. But you had a government with that kind of attitude. Let's take Christianity out of everything. But let's spend up to a million dollars to promote atheism in other countries. I'm sort of concerned that they don't feel a need to promote it in our country. You say, well, that's because we wouldn't put up with it. No, I think they don't think it's necessary. We're a little too, too far down that rabbit trail. All they got to say is separation of church and state, and they can take anything out that is Christian. America is in need of restoration. But the good news is we serve a God that is in the restoration business. And we saw, we see even in Jeremiah, even if the people don't want it, he can still bring restoration. I think there's a lot in America that do want restoration. We may want it in our hearts, but I think what our problem, what the church's problem is, is we're just too quiet, we're too intimidating. I think we're being lambs at a time where we maybe need to be lions. Let our voice be heard. One thing about the country that you live in you have freedoms, freedom to express your opinion, freedom to offend others, freedom to ask questions, freedom to tell others the truth. But it all starts with individuals. 
And one of the things we need to look at is that when we look at ourselves, we need to make sure and see that we're not perfect. We are in need of restoration. He looks at us and he sees the potential that we can do for him. The potential of the person that we can be. And we may just look in the mirror and we may say, well, I got rust here and I got problems there and this needs redone and I just, I don't have the expertise to do it. And God comes in and says, that's okay. I got you. I can do this. Just come ask for my help and I got you covered. And one thing awesome about God is we are never too far gone. I like this picture of this car because, well, it's a really cool car. Look where it started at. It's been neglected for years. You got weeds growing up on it. You got just rust everywhere. It's just, it hadn't had a lot of attention. And a lot of people would look at that and say, there's no hope for that car. We are never too far gone. And the reason why, because a restoration isn't dependent on us or any other person but it's depending on God. God is the one that does the work. We just have to let him. But I would say, if you never have let Jesus come into your heart and restore your life, you need to do that. You can be religious and not have a restored heart and a restored life. And another thing, you may say, but I'm already a Christian. I did that years ago, back when I was younger, or even a decade or so, so to go. But you got, what you've got to understand, our process is never complete here on earth. There's always room for improvements. And I think that's one of the things that the church has done a poor job of. We emphasize salvation, which is awesome and very important, and is definitely the first step. But it doesn't end with salvation. That is just the beginning. Then after you ask Jesus to come to your heart, you start walking and you start growing in faith. And as you grow in faith and as God um, restores this part and that part and the restoration process takes hold, then God's able to use you more. As a Christian, there's always stuff that needs fixed with us. That's okay, God to fix it, but we've got to realize there's a problem there. I was driving in a vehicle the other day and it started making a, a little rattling noise as I was driving. I don't like rattling noise. I already told you before, I'm not a mechanic. So my scenario on that, my, what I plan to do is to... Yes, <laughs> there you go. Do nothing, cross my fingers and hope it goes away. At least that's what I used to do when I was younger. I don't know anything about cars. And then guess what would eventually happen? It'll get worse, and then it would eventually stop running. You gotta fix, you gotta fix the problem. We can try to ignore it, and I think some of us as Christians, we think we're we're good enough. Yeah, I may need some adjusting on the exhaust, or the maybe the the tail lights aren't the original ones, or so forth, and we may be content with that. Well, I got saved, so I'm good. I go to church most of the time, don't do near as many bad things as I used to, so I'm good, and I'll just stay here. But God wants to keep working on you and restoring this area of your life and restoring that area of your life. I know when uh, I had some friends that saw me when I was really bad and then saw what God did in my life, and I talked to them a, a few years later, and they'd come up and they were just so amazed at what God had done. And it's like, 
wow, you, you have made it. You just turn your life around and you're good. I know you don't sin near us. And they were still in a pretty wild lifestyle. You, you know, you don't do near the stuff that I do. And, and I don't know how you did it. I'm just so glad you made it to where you're at. But what they didn't know is even though I'd quit doing some of the bad things with them, God had took it to a new level. And now I was dealing with some internal stuff that was a lot darker, lot, took a lot longer to get rid of. And honestly, he's still working on the internal stuff. And he always will. But he can't work on it if you just ignore it. I'm good. I got saved. I'm not near as bad. People think I'm good. And so I'll just stay still. I won't let God do any more work in me. Well, think about God. If you ask him and seek him, it's amazing how fast he can work. And how much stuff he can do to restore us. Don't use the excuse, well, I'm already a Christian and I quit all the bad stuff. No, you still got some restoring to do. And the more you let God restore you, the more he can use you in a powerful, amazing way. He can get you to do things. He can get you to look like you never thought you could look. Do things you never thought you could do. The question would be, what does your before and after picture look like? Now, it depends on when you take your picture, right? A lot of us take it before Jesus and then after Jesus. A lot of us can look at it and see a big difference. But also what I want you to do is I want you to take a picture today and let God work on you and see where you're at in a year from now. You don't have to sit down. You don't have to decide things. Well, I got this wrong and that wrong. I need to work on that. You don't have to do any of that. Guess who's going to do that for you? God will take care of it. I promise you, if you seek God and say, God, show me areas that you need to work on in my life, he'll show you. But God is in the restoring business, and you need to have a before and after picture, not just with salvation, but honestly, it should be after every day of life. But you should see a difference a year from now than where you're at today in your relationship with God. I didn't say whether you're more active in church or you go to church more, even read the Bible more and pray more. Those are good things and they're necessary things. But what is God doing in you? You're a temple. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. What is God doing in you? How is he restoring you? Will you let the God of restoration do work on your heart? That's the question. Will you let God restore you? Even in areas that you don't even know you need to be restored. Now, if you do that, I'm telling you now. I mean, God's constantly working on me, but he's bringing me along. But I promise you, fasten your seatbelt. Because you let God in your life, and he just, he will take over. And he'll get you to do crazy stuff. But that's the way it should be. A Christian is somebody who is sold out for Jesus Christ. Not somebody that lives in America and the practices of religion. Let's stop practicing our religion and let God do his restoration work in us. Not only do we need to let Jesus Christ do his work in us, but you know what we need to do? That's a message of hope there. Set an example to others, but we need to tell others. There's a lot of messed up people in the world. I mean, we're messed up, but then... Family members are messed up, and our friends are messed up, and our co-workers, we, we're around a lot of messed up people that need God's restoration work. They need God to work in their life, and a lot of what we're doing is, mm, we may see it, we may notice it, we may recognize it, 
But then mm, I don't want to offend them. And I don't know, am I getting in trouble if I invite them to church or, or even ask them anything religious? I'm not comfortable doing it. I don't know the Bible a lot. They might ask me a question. I don't know. Like we can just sit back and we can come up with a million excuses. But when we do that, what we're telling you, what we're saying to God is, God, we don't trust you because I've got to do it. When we should just jump in it and say, God, you've got to do this. And one thing I've learned, every conversation you have will not go great. But what happens, the worst conversations you have, the ones that go really south, are the ones that you probably learn the most. Okay, yeah, my approach was wrong there. I, I was sort of rude and made the person very defensive, or maybe I wasn't prayed up enough, or so forth. God, or maybe the person just has a cold heart and will not listen. But you're better leaving a person that has rejected Jesus Christ than, not, than leaving a person to never even talk about Jesus Christ at all. So we got work to do. God's got work to do uh, in us, but He's also got work to do with people that we rub shoulders with. And we're the ones that got to tell them, hey, here's you some hope. I know you're just like, I was in your same shoes. I was looking in the mirror and seeing all the rust and decay and thought, I can't fix this. But then I went to the person who could fix it, the being, the God who can fix it. You need to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you let the God of restoration do work on your heart? And will you also let him do work through you to reach the hearts of others? We got a message. We got a message of hope. Message of truth, but it ends with a message of hope.
Shane Perez hopes this lesson encourages you and equips you to minister to others with your walk as a Christian. We would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at StandFirmMinistries at Yahoo.com.